millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to Caravan Podcast, a show about Pakistan's startup ecosystem where we have intimate conversations with founders and investors driven to catapult Pakistan into the digital age. We'll discuss what it's really like to start a business, the highs and the lows, the setbacks, the comebacks, the lessons everything. I'm your host, as always, Ahmad Mia, partner at Caravan, a community-driven venture capital platform. Now, given the nascent ecosystem, there's a massive spread between the talent in the country and the resources that are available to support them. Our mission at Caravan is to close that gap by providing both capital and expertise at the earliest of stages. You can find more information about Caravan at www.caravan.vc. In this episode, I sit down with Farzal Dojki, an ecosystem enabler, investor, co-founder of NextGenI and .zero, a software house and co-working space based out of Karachi. So without further ado, let's get straight to Farzal. So I went to UT Austin for my undergraduate, um, did a double, double graduation in economics and computer science, mm-hmm. then went to NYU for my master's. Um, did three years of software engineering in the US, uh, working for Merrill Lynch in a consulting firm, Bearing Point. Moved to Pakistan in uh, 2005. And so for the last 15 years, I've been here. Uh, the first eight years, I worked at three startups uh, in Karachi and Lahore. Uh, and then the last about eight, nine years, I've been running my own <clears throat> consulting firm. The kind of work I've done is has stayed the same over this you know 15 years period, which is working with startups and building engineering teams. Um, some segues into side projects have been, as you said, dot zero. So this is after what's called Eisenhower Fellowship, where we go for two months and study a subject of our interest in the U.S. So that subject for me was how to build entrepreneurial ecosystems, and what I saw in the U.S. were places which would facilitate co-working acceleration uh, and then you know demo days so they would bring in investors so we when i came back from eisenhower fellowship i was running a software company which had 18 employees so you know that wasn't a lot of work so i spent about a year um, thinking about how to foster this in karachi by then pulsum was running i2i in Islamabad, a virtual accelerator uh, Nabil and Omar Saif were running Plan 9 in Lahore under the PITB brand, but there was nothing in Karachi. Um, and so we started Dot Zero with three other co-founders, raised about $150,000 at that time, which was Dead Karol uh, from the four co-founders, which is uh, Atif Azim from Dive, Imran Moyuddin from Next Degree, Yusuf Jan, who at that time was the CEO of Mixit, of Fintech Day, and myself. So the four of us pulled together about $80,000 and then the remaining came from grants such as from Pasha, from Eisenhower Fellowship itself uh, and a lot of advanced memberships to our co-working space. And the idea was to start with co-working a 24-7 facility in Karachi for startups, then move on to incubation and uh, you know education side of startups and then eventually move into the fundraising side of startup, all the while running my own company, Next Generation Innovation. 
So it's it's really interesting. The journey that you've taken has been kind of you. I would put you in that enabling kind of category, Joe. You've been there from the beginning of the startup phase of, of the startup ecosystem in Pakistan. You've been an, a massive enabler, I think, as well um, for what is happening today. And on the development side with NextGen, like how is it difficult for you to convince people of what you're trying to do and what you are working with? Because, I mean, you work with startups and creating teams as well, correct? Correct. So tell me, tell me a little, a little no, bit about that process. For me, it's the supply chain, right? Uh, we start with, uh, so broad zero is about supply chain, right? You have, you need to offer physical space to people to work out of. Um, you need a physical space for events so that a lot of different people meet each other uh, and hopefully meet each other recurring enough so that they established some form of social relationship beyond those events. Um, then you need to have some form of an educational component. So we partnered with Founders Institute to run the incubator. And then eventually all of these early stage companies would need to raise angel funding. So we started what's called Dot Zero Ventures uh, as a investment vehicle into very early stage uh, businesses, generally the first outside investment that these businesses would, run, uh, would, would make. So those are three things that Dot Zero as an institution would do, right? And that has no interference in like Atif Azim runs Venture Dive as a software company, Iron Action as a software company, Imran Muyuddin runs a software company. So those were separate, those were our sort of bread and butter, right? These were our side interests. I think you put it right as enabling institutions. Um, so I don't see why there would be a confusion. Uh, yes, we have made the mistake of maybe double dipping in some ways, uh, investing into a company and then also taking the software development contract. And that soon we realized is a mistake because then there is a clear conflict of interest. And so we backed out, you know, after the first mistake of that type, we backed out and said, even either we invest in a company or we do software development services for them, trying to do both uh, can result in double dipping uh, type scenarios. So what's, what's been the strategy with next gen for you guys? Because you still do a lot of work with startups, correct? Yeah, 100% uh, of our uh, new work is with startups. Uh, I think maybe somewhere between 80 and 90% of our current um, invoicing is for companies which are three years or less in formation. So pretty much, yeah. Uh, all of Pakistan the focused? Pakistan has been maybe 5%. So consulting firms like ours generally offer two arbitrages, which, which if we try to focus on Pakistan, we don't end up sort of checking off both the boxes. One is a labor arbitrage and the other is a cost arbitrage. So a developer salary in GCC, a good developer, let's say five years experience uh, in GCC would be around 50,000 US dollars. Um, if, you know, total cost of ownership kind of thing, right? For $50,000, you can hire a single developer. So if you have $100,000 in friends and family round uh, to build your startup of which you want to maybe keep half in software development and half in marketing distribution and other things, then you can only afford like a single good developer. And against that, what software companies like ours can offer you is maybe about two to three people for about a six month duration. So we definitely multiply our initial runway 
on technology and R and D by uh, by a, you know multiple of five. I would say it's one. Then the second is talent arbitrage. The the challenge would be for a startup in GCC. How do you convince someone to be your first developer? Uh, someone is on a visa. Uh, it takes them three months to transfer their visa from one company to another company. Uh, their family might be dependent on their work visas. To convince that person to leave their job to join you, where your own software runway or your financial runway is less than six months, is kind of difficult. So you end up not attracting the top talent. And so consulting firms such as ours generally come and solve these two problems. We would give you software teams that have built multiple startup technology stacks before. Um, and we would generally be able to do it at a cost which is 25% uh, or 20% of the GCC. If you try to replicate in Pakistan, that doesn't, so the cost arbitrage is gone. Uh, if a developer costs, let's say $1,000 in salaries and we charge $2,000 for our services for the same developer because we offer, let's say, HR services, uh, management services, we also accelerate the velocity of that developer's productivity by pooling, you know, bring, putting them together with 90 other people of his, uh, you know, from whom he can learn and solve problems. Uh, we may fast track because we have solved similar problems. So when we go to Pakistani companies with the same pitch, for some reason, the costing becomes uh, the deal breaker. And after a while, the companies will be like, you know, this I can hire this person for $1,000. Why am I paying $2,000 to X company yeah. as a consultant? And, and so to avoid those conversations, we generally are not able to do startups in Pakistan. Um, I would say maybe less than 10% of our revenue is Pakistan and the remaining 90% is either GCC or the, the UK cluster. So now if you go back and we look at what angel investing, what, what, how, do you, how, do you, how do you go about that? So as dot zero, we have stopped investing as of three years ago. I think we were too early in the, in the cycle. Our idea was that we will see the market and then in a couple of years, um, bigger funds with million dollar checks would come in. So our check size would be $50,000 to $150,000. And then someone would sort of a year or two year later in that startup's journey would write the half a million dollar, million dollar check. Now this is 2014, 15. Mm -hmm. So I think it was a bit too early. By 2017, I think other than maybe Rosie and Taraz and one or two more companies like Papi's, there was no million dollar check coming into Pakistan. So our investors kind of, I would say, backed out. Uh, we had both technology and non-technology. So as a group, we stopped investing in, in startups at Tor Zero Ventures. There was also a huge concern by our CEO on on exit strategy. So, you know, the, the very popular example that he would give is Rosie raising funds from DFJ Piper back in 2005 mm -hmm. and not having any exit all the way till 2017, 18 at least, right? So there was no clear exit strategy for us as investors. We are still pretty happy that we did that, those institutions of co-working, incubation, and then investment. But I think our intention was always to pay it forward and so, and I think we sort of did that decently well. We were never able to put score on our own scorecards. It, it, I think it also matters for your motivation to see a, some of your startups being successful. And I think because that did not happen, 
there was just a bit of a fatigue factor uh, that came in and as of 2017 we have not or 2018 maybe we have not invested so how do you uh, i personally continue to invest but not as dot zero ventures anymore so personally about, tell me a little bit about the personal stuff right like how how have you being so tapped into the market how apne evolution kaise dekhi pakistan mein like where we were let's say 2012 2013 2014 to today in the day where we are getting multi-million dollar checks and, and many more companies that are coming to life. How do you see that evolution for yourself? Yeah, I mean, last week was, uh, you know, three companies, but one company in Cambridge and two companies in Pakistan raising funds uh, in the dental AI space and B2B space, right? <clears throat> it would take us a whole year to hear three positive stories about Pakistan. And if you go back, uh, just even four years yeah so because of a very small base we continue to see triple digit growth in the startup funding um, we unfortunately as a group are not in the but uh, so i think we may have started too early but then if you also go back and think about it, if we were not investing in the first batch of Nest IO graduates and the second batch of Nest IO graduates, we wouldn't have maybe this. the whole thing would not have start, even started. Yeah, completely. So, so it, it, it's very hard to say uh, what Dot Zero's contribution was to, uh, as an enabler to the investment uh, side of things. We definitely made a big dent in, uh, in, in the early part of supply chain, which is incubation and just giving founders a space to work out of. And tell me some, like, tell me about most, some of the most difficult and most rewarding periods of your journey so far in starting these companies and investing and, and all of these other things that you've done. Um, touch wood, I don't think we have had a difficult time uh, in the last seven, eight years that I'm doing that. So I'm, you know, COVID-19 was probably, people say, you know, one of the toughest. And as we discussed a little bit earlier in more of a personal portion of this chat that somehow we have survived COVID-19 really well. So there really hasn't been a big challenge for us. You know, we saw seven of our 17 startups fold, uh, but we also saw three startups grow really well during COVID and Mm -hmm. absorb all of our other losses. So, so while there have been on an individual startup basis, tough moments, but as a collection, I think we have made a pretty decent portfolio of startups to work with. Nice. And uh, up- the most rewarding, of course, has in a financially rewarding has been Kareem, of course. Just so tell, someone- me, tell me a little bit about that story. So there is a company called Venture Dive. Um, Venture Dive was started by about five of us back in 2013. Uh, one of them was Mutasir Shekha, who at that time was a consultant at Kareem, sorry, at McKinsey. Atif Azim had sold his company to Cisco. Um, so he was, you know, he was finishing up his, uh, what's that period called, uh, where you have to up, you know, spend a couple of years post-exit. Saad uh, uh, Fazil was working for Verizon out of Boston. Um, Shazad Nafuda was working for uh, Salesforce uh, in the Valley and I was the only one running a physical business in Pakistan called Next Generation Innovation. So the five of us pulled together 
close to $100,000 and we wanted to build products. So we started a company called Venture Dive um, and we started building products. We had this team of about five or six engineers in a very small, you know, 200 square foot uh, room. None of our products really worked out. You know, we were all part-time also. Uh, so Saad and Mudassir would do the product side of things and Atif would help with engineering and I would do recruitment. Shazad would do engineering consulting. And so it wasn't really working out. And after a year, we had this really, you know, um, all, you know team that owned the products, but the products were not doing well. By then, Mudassir had uh, stepped back from his role at McKinsey, wanted to do something entrepreneurial once again. He had done a startup before. And so after several ideas, he landed on this idea of car, you know, car sharing, car pooling to a company called Kareem. Uh, now, it was very natural for us to do software development for Kareem, um, given that A, he had a significant equity, and B, you know, we knew each other, and some of them went back to high school, so they knew each other for 20 years, and had time, spent time at, uh, at high school or university, in Stanford in particular, so it was very natural. So Kareem, basically's engineering team started as, four or five developers between next generation and venture dive building the driver version of the app the consumer version of the app the web version i think the beta was launched in like six to twelve weeks or something really fast um and then you know the the journey was uh, the first couple of years were pretty slow like you know uber the threat of uber wasn't there for about the first year but then uber threat came in i think that's where we really realized that there's a much bigger market than we thought uh, because then, until then we were dealing with consultants and uh, you know advanced booking only. Yeah. There was no now booking. You had to book uh, a Kareem ride in advance, etc. Uh, so on the engineering front, I think it worked out really well. They had a couple of engineers that they hired later in Dubai, but pretty much everything else was happening in this small room in Karachi. That's that's awesome and. So you guys were able to build that product for... So two things I think I should mention, two things I should mention uh, that we learned out of that Kareem model. One is a cash equity swap. So yeah. of course startups were cash strapped and also founders want to build equity on the engineering side. So there is a lot more ownership of the product itself. So one thing that Atif and Mudassir executed really well was the initial contract where uh, where a certain percentage of the services revenue was through equity in the business. And I think at that time, their valuation was about like $3 million, right? So, so as a company, we got into, uh, in, we got really, you know, uh, equity very early in the game. Uh, and then when four years later, there was an echo hire. So what happened is four years later, Ekkarim's, I think it was Series B or Series C, in which Abraj also invested $60 million. At that time, they wanted to bring the tech in-house because the outsourcing you know, model worked really yeah. well for the first three to four years. And there was technically no reason to change it, but there, there comes a stage where outsourcing becomes a liability rather than asset. So at that point, uh, there was an echo hire of about 38 software engineers uh, from next generation, from Venture Dive to uh, Kareem. And again, um, Atif Azim, the CEO of Venture Dive, 
uh, only took 10% cash and put 90% back into the company. And again, this was a series B, series C stage. So even that investment saw a 50x return um, after the acquire. So I think those two were very lucky in some ways decisions or foresight decisions uh, by the by the you know board of venture dive and and, and Awesome. Um, Faisal, looking at Pakistan now internally, what, what are some companies and some industries that you think are most exciting for you personally? So actually, I don't understand Pakistan that well. Um, I should admit that like things that should have done well, like e-commerce and, you know, like they don't seem to be doing well. Right? Our, our biggest e-commerce company is 1,000th the size of an Indian e-commerce company, even though by population we should be at you know one seventh or one tenth maybe. So why is there a hundred x difference yeah. between e-commerce in Pakistan and e-commerce in India? My, you know, just very mind-boggling for me. Uh, similarly, we see the food space in Pakistan only has like one real player for the last five years. Um, there has been Super Meal and. You know, one of the companies was acquired by Food Panda, and then there have been some other efforts, but nothing has really worked beyond Food Panda. And from what we know, they continue to bleed about a million dollars a month into this market. So it's been a very strange uh, thing that, even though I've been part of the of the you know ecosystem for as long as I can remember, why the ecosystem hasn't grown faster, better. I, I'm not able to explain that to people. I, w- I would love to have a, a longer conversation on, on your thesis, like your, what you think and, and why that is, because um, I think that would be a fascinating conversation. But uh, Farzal, the question is, if you could tell me, uh, describe three of the most important lessons that you learned your journey up until today. I wish you had emailed me this question before. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so one, I think, is just uh, empathy or flexibility. Uh, I think when I started my career in Pakistan, especially the where I was responsible for a business as opposed to an employee, um, I had my own preconceived notions on how things should be uh, from an HR perspective, uh, from a work-life balance perspective, etc. I think that's been one of the big lessons for me that People just come with so many different aspirations about where they, what they want to do, and and being flexible and giving people life, you know, work-life choices as opposed to, uh, you know, hard-hitting them with engineering tasks. Uh, I don't know. People management side has been a bigger, the biggest lesson. The the more the more that I've let go of my personal perspective, and the more I have accepted other people's perspective. I've become a better person and like a better colleague. Um, just as an example, our attrition rate, which is the number of people who would leave the company, was maybe about 60% um, when we started the business. It it dropped down as you would expect as a business matured to maybe about 30% three years ago, which, which was a Pasha average at that time. But last year, we closed the year at in single digit percentages of attrition. So if we had 100 engineers, wow. less than 10 left us, right? And that's unheard of. That's this, and we haven't done anything very different except listen to people and given them what they were asking for. And that has been uh, one of the biggest learnings for me. 
that letting go of things has been very rewarding. Uh, the second is just the financial discipline itself. Uh, unlike a lot of our competitors, we haven't had to lay off uh, anyone this year. We haven't had to reduce salaries this year. We haven't had to freeze bonuses. We haven't had to uh, reduce uh, freeze compensations. Um, like none of that, right? And when three months ago, when COVID happened, then you look at the conversations on some of the leadership forums and you know WhatsApp chats and webinars, it seemed like there would be a bloodbath. And when we did our survey of some of the top competitors in terms of HR for us, everybody had frozen bonuses. Everybody had, most of them had reduced salaries. Uh, there was no discussion on appraisals this year. And when we look, you know, when I worked with my accountant and we looked at last three months, we're like, you know, things aren't really that bad. Uh, we can take advantage of the situation and still ask our staff to let go of their bonuses. And we can probably still ask them to uh, freeze their salaries for the rest of this year. But looking at the numbers, I don't feel we need to do that because as a, uh, like we never really ex increased their expenses to the level where we had decreased them. I think the financial discipline was surprising uh, for me that the companies with much better brands are really hurting right now. And us with a very, very low profile leadership team uh, actually has, has done really well. And so I think second learning has been uh, the financial discipline overall. Uh, in the company, like our management structure is so lean that we don't have, like everybody in the company is producing revenue today. Mm -hmm. There is no, there is no overhead. Um, we are about 110 people. And other than my HR manager, which is like a one person HR team, everybody produces revenue for the company, including me. Uh, I charge a consulting rate for, you know, consulting. And I think I easily pay for my own salary through my consulting hours. Oh, third lesson. So you asked for three. <laughs> uh, no, I think those two, those two are big ones. I don't want to like dilute by saying uh, a third one just because <laughs> you asked for it. Uh, financial discipline and just giving, being flexible with people and, and giving them what they want. That's perfect. Thank you so much for listening. If you guys have any comments, your feedback, please do send them my way. Mera direct email address hai amad at caravan.vc or na aap hamare baare mein aur information hasil kar sakte hain on our website which is www.caravan.vc or on Instagram. Um, our handle is at caravan.vc. Until next time, Khuda Hafiz. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com.